you join me in prayer? Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit upon us this morning? Would you open our hearts and open our minds that we might hear you speaking to us and that we might have the courage to follow you? We pray this in the precious and powerful name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. It is a little convoluted if you want to look and follow along. Here we go. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law, But sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many." And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this passage from the book of Romans is a far cry from inspiring. The writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, is in the middle of this confusing and very academic conversation, and our passage for this morning is a part of it, and this part is all about two men and sin. And to clarify here, Paul tells the entire story of creation in seven verses, and it starts with one man, Adam. He's the first person God created, and he was the first person to sin. Sin entered the world through Adam, and you can see that in verse 12. And then death entered the world through sin, and not just physical death like the end of life, but spiritual death. True life is found in obedience to God, and death is found in leaving God. Our spirits die without their maker. So sin was in the world before the law, and the law is the Bible, and sin came before the law that prohibits it, and that sin brought with it death. And verses 13 and 14 basically explain that sin kills you, even if you don't know it's sin. All of this through that one man, Adam. But then there's another one man in verse 15, Jesus the Christ. And while Adam's sin brought sin and death into the world for all, those who receive the free gift of Jesus will be justified, which means their crime will be forgiven. So verse 18, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation and death for all, another man, Jesus, his act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Two men. One who invited sin and death into the world, the other is God's response to that sin. This whole passage is about sin, but it's so theoretical that it's hard to actually picture how it applies to our daily lives. 
To really understand this passage, we have to understand sin. What is it? Why is it around? Which is why today I am going to teach you the best way to sin. The three-step process on sinning effectively. Because you all are such good people, I have a feeling you don't even know how. So I bet you didn't think one of your pastors would be teaching you how to sin today, but today you get the patented tank three-step process. We're going to start by defining the word. When someone says sin, it usually means a combination of guilty and bad with a religious and spiritual flavor to it. But the word is hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. It's an archery term or a hunting term. It means you took a shot and you missed. Hamartia. Paul's example is Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and there's this one tree that God tells them not to eat from. Just that one. That tree, don't eat from it. And they do. They can eat from any other tree. God tells them just not that one, and that's the target. Don't eat from that tree. That's the entire target. And that's the tree they eat from. They miss the mark. Intentionally, they wander from the path God put them on. Why did they do it? The answer is actually surprisingly simple. Because it looked good. And the serpent said it would make them wise, and they wanted to be wise. It all just looked good. Which is why that's the first step. It's the reason anyone sins. Choose something that looks good. The tastier the sin looks, the better. So in order to sin, the first step is you should choose something that looks good. At Food for Thought, we tell our kids to walk to the gym in a single file line. That is the target. Single file line, walk to the gym. And always, as we round the first corner, I should say this walk is maybe 15 seconds. As we round the first corner, one kid inevitably breaks line, starts running, maybe leaping for the gym. The entire walk, 15 seconds, he can't stand it, he takes off running. Why does he do it? Walking is just so boring. It's slow. He just wants to get to the gym. Running looks good. If sin was gross or boring, we wouldn't be having this talk today. But Adam and Eve, they thought the tree looked good. And they were right. It did look good. And then they ate it, and it tasted good too. Plus, it was sort of exciting. They were disobeying God, breaking the rules. You have to look around and make sure no one sees you. It's exciting. You know, eating rocks is not good for you. If you weren't aware, this is your wake-up call. Your body doesn't do well digesting rocks. It's terrible for your teeth as well. You can ask Walt. You are basically guaranteed to choke, and a rock isn't going to melt like an ice cube in your throat. Once you eat a rock, you're basically setting yourself up for a terrible time. So why don't we see more Surgeon General warnings about eating rocks? We see them about eating too much sugar or fatty foods or smoking cigarettes, but I cannot remember ever seeing a single warning, everybody, be careful. Do not eat rocks because they will destroy your teeth and they'll get stuck in your stomach. You'll probably need surgery or you might just die. Seriously, don't eat rocks. We don't see that warning because rock eating isn't a problem, because no one wants to eat rocks. If sinning was like eating a rock, we wouldn't be here. 
but it's not. Sinning looks good. So you sin. There's something you want. It's not what God wants for you, but you want it. So you go for it. You get it. You accomplish this step because you choose a sin that looks good. That's step one. But to continue in sin, you need step two. You need to overcome those negative effects of sinning. Because if you sin and realize, hey, this tastes like a rock, you're not going to do it again. If you feel too guilty, you're not going to do it again. But if you sin and realize, man, that's awesome. I want more of that. Then the excitement can overcome the discomfort of doing something wrong, and you'll be able to keep sinning as much as you want. Because you like that. For example, if you walk into a store and you steal a candy bar and immediately are caught and a judge decides to send you to jail for three years, chances are you will never steal again. Your experience was terrible. Stealing tasted like a rock. But if you steal a candy bar and don't get caught, well, now you got a candy bar for free. Plus, it was a little bit exciting. Why not some clothes? Why not a wallet? And then when we give in to the pleasure or thrill of doing what we want instead of what God wants, then we've embraced the sin. We've chosen the sin over what we know is right. You see, you need that excitement of sinning, the fun and pleasure of whatever you get out of the sin, to overcome that guilt and fear. And if at any point the guilt becomes too much, or the shame, or the anger, or whatever, it becomes too much, you'll stop sinning. They will push you back on target. Those negative emotions push you back to the target that God has for us, So you need to overcome those negative effects. Picking a really fun sin helps. Pick the most fun sin you can think of, that helps. But even then, we know this, the secrets, they start adding up. The damage to your life, it adds up. The guilt, the anger. Don't worry, there's a better way. There's this kid I tutored. And he told me that he had punched another kid earlier in the week. And when he saw my face, he could tell I thought that was a problem. He could tell by my face. So in that moment, how how did he feel? He felt a little guilty, a little embarrassed, maybe a little scared that I would judge him. The classic negative effects of sin. He had sinned. Now he needs to deal with those negative effects. So in that moment, he could apologize and hope that I'd forgive him. Or he could quickly explain that it wasn't his fault which is when I heard a story about how another girl had kicked him and this other kid had laughed at him. I told that kid to stop or I would punch him and he didn't stop. So you see, I was just keeping my promise. (laughs) It wasn't a sin, it was his fault. And that's the power of story. It's the most important part of step two in continuing to sin. Overcome the negative effects of sin with a good story. There isn't love in the marriage anymore, so it's not really cheating. They didn't earn the money to begin with, so it's not really stealing. He laughed at me, so it isn't really punching. Now, I need to say again that sinning isn't a spiritual word. It literally means missing the mark. You take a shot and you miss. And when that happens, in that moment, we have the choice to either figure out how to get back on the right path, back on target, Or we have to convince ourselves that this new path is actually better. This path is fine. It's not a big deal. No reason to feel guilty. It's not that bad. Don't be nervous. Everyone does it. Once you complete step two, sinning will be much easier. 
The story protects you from the guilt or the shame or the anger. It's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. It's not that big of a deal. We all know the stories. But if you really want to sin freely, you need to think bigger. You need help. Step three. Nazi Germany. Picture it. As a society, much of the country, they convinced themselves together that it was all the Jews' fault. So hating the Jews isn't wrong. Everyone is doing it. Steal their stuff, beat them up, drive them out of town. And when the entire society is in on it, kids are born into thinking it's normal. Until everyone can sin, no guilt. You can even do it with pride. Here's an example closer to home. And you can follow the entire process. I grew up in a nice suburb outside Chicago. I say nice because it matters for the story. Naperville was rated one of the top five places in the United States to raise a family several years in a row. The schools were excellent. Crime was low, close to Chicago. Kids should have been happy. Shortly after I graduated, it became a major news story that Naperville high schools were suffering from a heroin epidemic. One senior in high school made a documentary about it, and she interviewed fellow students about how they got into drugs. And they described this three-step process with painful honesty. Some of them loved the thrill of it. They loved breaking the rules. It gave them a little rush. But most just fell into it because their friends had. It was that simple. It looked good. They wanted to try it. It felt good, so they kept doing it. Step one. And then they had to justify it. Step two. And they would tell themselves it wasn't that dangerous. It's haunting listening to these stories because they talk about doing drugs like it's going to a movie. No big deal. Everyone does it. Just hanging out. Just something when you're bored. Not a big deal. And once you have a group of people gathered together around a sin like that, something will happen. They rewrite what's right and what's wrong. Which is step three. And you could watch these kids do it. They started to say it's not doing drugs that's wrong. You don't understand. You're just sheltered. You're just naive. You're just boring. I'm not making the mistake for sinning. I'm not making the mistake. You're making a mistake for judging me. If you want to sin, these are exactly the steps you should take. First, choose a sin that looks good. The better it looks, the better. Use the thrill of breaking the rules to overcome the guilt of doing something wrong because that thrill, it can carry you for a while. As long as the sin is better than eating a rock, you'll start to enjoy it. So second, you deal with the negative effects. Over time, the guilt will fade, but it's better to tell yourself a story so that it's off you altogether. Everyone does it. Trust me, the story doesn't have to be true. You just have to convince yourself it's true. And then the third and ultimate step. If you can find a group of people who like the same sin you do, then you're golden. The sinning sweet spot. If you find that group, you don't even have to keep telling yourself it's a big deal or that everyone's doing it. You can actually convince yourself that it's good and that everyone else is wrong for judging you. All those people who make you feel bad, they're actually the ones doing something wrong. They don't know you. They don't understand you. They don't know why you do what you do. The sin becomes judging people for disagreeing. And once you make it there, it doesn't even feel like a sin anymore. which would be awesome. Except here's the thing. Sinning is eating rocks. 
sinning kills you. It doesn't matter if we paint the rock to look like candy or something healthy like an apple or if we make it smaller so it's easier to swallow. It doesn't matter what story we tell or who we find to tell us that it's okay. Sinning is eating rocks. And sooner or later, those rocks are going to kill whatever part of your spirit or life they land on. There's no human way to escape the effects of sin. Those rocks will build up in your gut until your life is consumed by managing them. The whole process I've described is what Paul is talking about with the one man, Adam. And here's something really important. You need to hear this. The other man, Jesus, who comes and justifies our sin, he doesn't come just to eliminate the guilt of eating rocks. He doesn't come to use the Holy Spirit so digesting rocks will be easier. Jesus did not come so we can keep eating rocks. That wouldn't be love. That would be neglect. Jesus came to give us something better to eat. If you still have Romans open, you can take a look. Starting with verse 15, it starts talking about this free gift. The word is charisma. Jesus brings us this free gift. And it's the same word that's translated elsewhere as spiritual gifts, which is also translated as fruits of the Spirit. The gifts of wisdom, of teaching and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, these are fruits which are actually good for us. They're good for our spirits. And believe it or not, they're actually good for everyone around you. On the one hand, we have sins, sins which look delicious. Let's be honest, lots of the time they are delicious. We enjoy them. We like what they do for us. We like how they make us feel. If we didn't, we wouldn't keep sinning and we wouldn't be having this conversation. And every one of us has used this three-step process for continuing to sin, even and especially when we know it's wrong. And on the other hand, we have these fruits. Fruits which don't always look as exciting as sin. They don't look as tasty. Purity and kindness are not being sold on billboards. Humility and patience are not flashy attributes. But they don't kill you. In fact, they do the opposite. They give you life. So much life that it begins to overflow to those around you. So much life that it actually refuses to stay inside of you. These fruits from God, they don't stop growing. And in them we find life for ourselves. And we find that we bring life to those around us. Which is the opposite of sin. Where your entire life becomes figuring out how to cope with the fact that you're carrying rocks around in your stomach. A final promise from this passage. Leaving behind the sins is hard. Otherwise, becoming a Christian would be a one-moment thing. If they didn't look good, we wouldn't have started eating them in the first place. Leaving behind the sins is hard. But the last promise of this passage is this word, grace. Grace is this simple promise that God will change our desires until the rocks actually taste like rocks. And what we truly desire, what looks good, what we want, is pure fruit. Pure fruit from the Spirit of God. Let us pray. Lord, as we begin this Lenten journey, we confess to you our desire to eat rocks. Our desire to return again and again to things that are killing us, to things that are killing those around us. We ask that you would change our hearts change our desires.
that we might long for your spirit and the good fruits that it has for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.